as well. Last thing before we go into the story, I just want to give a quick shout out. Uh, you may or may not know, we actually have a, a, real, a whole like online community of people who tune in to Center Church every week. So I just want to give a shout out to Adam and Chelsea who live over in the uh, greater Seattle area. They uh, sent me a super encouraging message this week. So thank you guys for uh, encouraging us and uh, just for being a part of our community. So here's a verse that I want to share with you. It's Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. There are several verses in the Bible that say the same thing, uh, but it will be really familiar to most of you. Galatians 6, 7 says, a man reaps what he sows. Uh, now, you may not have known that came from the Bible. Uh, it's just a principle that's true in life. A person reaps what they sow. Now, the Bible uses all kinds of uh, agrarian analogies because they lived in an agrarian society. I like to say it this way. You get what you go for. In life, most of the time, you're going to get what you're going for. Uh, sometimes we think we're going for one thing, like I'm going for a really great relationship, but that person might actually have like a terrible attitude and be really controlling and insecure and do all kinds of destructive things. So what they're actually going for is something different. But in life, you generally get what you're going for. So do me a favor, turn to your neighbor and say, you get what you go for. You're going to get in life generally what you're going for. So if what you're going for, if what you're going for is God's best for your life, if you're chasing that, you're probably going to get it. In life, you're generally going to get what you go for. So that's going to be kind of our big idea. Uh, we're in the story. This week is week chapter six. Uh, if you're not familiar with the story, what the story is, uh, it's, uh, it's the Bible, but what the editors have done is they've taken out the things that don't pertain to kind of the high-level narrative. Um, so we're using it really to just try and, and get an overview of what's the big story? What's God doing in all of humanity? So for example, like the Proverbs. Uh, the Proverbs are, Proverbs is a book full of wise sayings. Uh, they're not essential to understanding the high-level narrative, though, so there's actually very few of them in the story. Uh, if you're new or visiting or new-ish or just don't know what the heck's going on around here, if you would like to have a copy of the story, uh, just, just take your Connect card to the Connect table right there. We would love to give you one of those. That's our gift to you. Uh, please feel free to grab one of those after the service. Week six, uh, you might remember from last week, uh, they just spent a year at Mount Sinai. Okay, so the exodus has happened. God has led all the people out of captivity in Egypt. He brought them to Mount Sinai. He's given them the Ten Commandments. And now they're just, they're road tripping. Uh, do you, who likes a good road trip? Okay, there's, most of us like a road trip. Um, for me, like, I, Brandy and I, I mentioned a couple weeks ago, we went out of town because I uh, officiated a wedding out of town. We kind of took the roundabout way and had a really great time just road tripping. That was a really a lot of fun. I can think back at other road trips that haven't been so successful. Uh, when our kids were young, uh, our youngest, Ezra, was a baby. Our oldest, Michael, was maybe just short of four years old. I think he was just a couple months away. So he was three. Uh, and then, of course, Hannah was in the middle. And uh, so we had like an army of car seats in my rearview mirror, right? That's, where, that's the stage of life that we were at. And uh, we were driving home. We had been in, uh, over in the Oregon coast, kind of in that area. We were driving home, and we're just outside of Portland. And, uh, you know, Hannah is like, she's the more emotional one of the three. Is that fair to say? Uh, and like she's done. She's done road tripping. The road trip is over as far as she's concerned, and she's going to make sure that the fun part of the road trip is over for the rest of us. So she's, uh, how would I say, like she's wailing. She's just wailing, like snot, 
ugly face, red face, screaming in the back seat. And, uh, you know, Micah is, like, super patient. He was a really sweet little kid. And he eventually got to where, like, there's just so much noise and chaos, and he's like... <laughs> like, he's starting to melt down, right? And pretty soon he starts, like, she won't stop. Ezra's a baby. He doesn't know. He just knows there's a ton of noise. He's tied down in this seat, and so he's just baby screaming. Right? They're, all, they're all doing their thing. Uh, Dad's about to lose his mind. I literally said to Hannah, one of us is getting out of the car right now. Who's it going to be? It's you or it's me. Of course, she didn't understand anything at that point, uh, partly because she was two and partly because she was out of her mind with rage. And uh, pretty soon, Brandy's starting to like, Brace, I'm like, I'm like, not you two. Like, you, can't, you can't be doing this as well. And, you know, pretty soon it's like running down her face and they're all crying. And I'm just super frustrated. And Brandy and I look at each other and we just burst out laughing. We just started laughing uncontrollably, like mission accomplished. Mom and dad have officially <laughs> lost their minds. Uh, and Brandy's really never bounced back, I'm not gonna lie. She just hasn't been the same ever since then. I mean, you remember it like it was yesterday, right? Like it was super traumatic. Uh, that's what it's like when you road trip with little kids. Uh, have, by the, have any of you had similar experiences with your children? Yeah, I know I'm totally not alone on that. Well, as we read through the story, the Israelites are road tripping right now. And Moses is the only one that appears to have his mind still functional. And instead of having three kids in the back seat, he literally has two million. He's got the entire nation. And we're going to get to a part this week where you're just going to be like, no, that no reasonable person would do that. Well, apparently they're not reasonable people because they do some really silly, silly things. In the modern age of taking a road trip, uh, most of us have done this. If you don't know where you're going, you don't pull out a map. Who uses a map anymore, right? I'm map makers. Uh, my friend Dan is a cartographer, yes? Uh, his industry has changed drastically, I would venture, in the last 10 years. Uh, who uses maps? What you do is, don't tell me how to get there. Tell me the address, right? Everyone knows that. Uh, when someone says, you know, you got to go down two miles and take a left at the whatever, I'm like, I can't even understand the words that are coming out of your mouth right now. Tell me the address. That's what I, that's what I always want to know. So what, you've, uh, what you know if you've done this before is that when you punch in the address and uh, it pops up with the directions, it tells you how far it is and it gives you an estimated time of arrival. And I think about 90% of us have the exact same thought when we see the estimated time, travel time. Oh, heck no. I can beat that, right? You, you think that. No, I'm going to get there soon. 56 minutes? No. 47 tops. Like that's, that's what most of us think when that happens. Uh, I'm sure that the majority of us have, have thought this. But this is why we're going to relate to the journey today that they're, that they're on. Because when we're going somewhere specific, specific enough to punch in an address, like we just want to get there, right? Especially if we're leaving somewhere we don't want to be, like Thanksgiving with the in-laws. But you just want to get back home, right? You just want to get there quickly, as quickly as possible. If you're just cruising, that's one thing. But, but they're not cruising, they're, they just left captivity in Egypt. They just left slavery, and they're headed toward the land that God promised to them. They're headed to Canaan. God said, I'm going to give you this incredible place. I, like, they want to get there. They're, they're not just out for a cruise, plus, like, who cruises through the desert on foot? Uh, they, they want to arrive there as quickly as possible. So if they had a GPS, and they punched in that promised land, they'd be thinking, oh, heck no, Siri. Uh, like, um, this shouldn't be that long of a walk. We can beat, we can beat that. We can beat that. We can get there quicker. So, so we're working our way. We're in chapter six. 
And uh, we just saw them stop back at, uh, back at Sinai. And at this point of the story, God's done some incredible things. He's miraculously delivered them from slavery. Their people have been in slavery for over 400 years. And through an amazing set of miracles, God brought them out of slavery. And you might remember, uh, just shortly after they left, the Egyptians were like, whoa, wait, we made a mistake. We shouldn't have let them go. And their army chases them down. God parts the Red Sea. Uh, that's sort of outside of my daily experience. That's pretty incredible. Uh, God's done something pretty awesome there. And then they get to Sinai, and God gives them the rules of the game. Every relationship has ground rules, certain expectations of each other. And God gives that to them. He gives them the opportunity to live in blessing and prosperity and be in relationship with him through the Ten Commandments right there at Sinai. And this all happened on their way from Egypt to Canaan, the Promised Land. And so uh, we have a map right here. This is an actual route that was well-traveled in their day. This is the route that you would have taken if you were going from Egypt where they were to Canaan. Uh, it was known as the Way of the Sea. Um, I think you can probably deduce for yourself why it was called the Way of the Sea, because it goes by the sea, uh, the Mediterranean Sea right there. It was a really well-traveled road, road. Now, if you were to Google map this, you would find that it's actually about 175 miles. It's roughly the same distance from Egypt to the Promised Land that it is from right where you're sitting to Ellensburg, Washington. I know. You're thinking, that's a pretty wild comparison, right? Promised Land, Ellensburg, okay. Uh, well, it just happens to be about the same distance. I don't know, I don't know what to say right there. Uh, so I'm just gonna give it, give it a try. I'm just gonna punch Ellensburg into my, uh, my phone right here. Uh, let's see what comes up. There's almost no cell service in this particular room. And uh, it comes up, sure enough, it's just about 179 miles uh, on, my, on my device. Now, some of you may or may not have ever noticed, because we don't use the feature, but if you scroll down a little bit, there's actually a walking feature. And uh, you can ask Siri how long it's going to take you to walk. If you have an iPhone, if you have one of those other things, I, I don't know how you survive. Uh, <laughs> but Siri will tell you how long that it takes to walk from here to Ellensburg. And she says, it's going to take you about two hours, 19 minutes. Uh, sorry, no, no, try again. Uh, two days, 19 hours. That's, that's roughly how long it's going to take you to walk, just short of 200 miles to Ellensburg. Uh, that doesn't sound that fun, but it doesn't sound impossible. We could do it. We'd probably stop along the way, so it might take a little bit longer than two days and 19 hours. I mean, you know, we'd stop to eat and maybe camp and sleep. It'd take a little bit longer, but, but even a group this size of two million people, this huge caravan, I mean, they should be able to do it in like a couple weeks, wouldn't you think? Like roughly five times the, uh, with the time that Siri says, if they're, just, if they're just going down the direct route, a well-established road. Uh, but have you ever noticed that God doesn't always take you down the well-established, easy, direct route. Uh, maybe your life has been totally smooth and direct everywhere you wanted to go. Mine certainly hasn't. Uh, I'm guessing that you can relate to that. I do think that life is going to be better for us if we just come to grips with the fact that God's not always going to take us down the easy road. That's just not going to happen. I hope I'm not bursting anyone's bubble, but sometimes it's going to be hard. God's not going to take you on the easy road all the time. And that didn't happen for Egypt. They headed out of Egypt. They're kind of going to the northeast right there. And at the first stoplight they come to, instead of going straight through to the promised land, they take a right, a hard right, and they head straight south on that map, at almost the opposite direction of the place that they're going. And it begins a season for them that we refer to as the wandering. Uh, I don't know if that sounds like fun to you. We should call it something better. Uh, 
But God often does most of the work in our lives when we're in the seasons of wandering, when we're off of the easy path. I don't know if you've noticed that before. Um, when your mom used to see you struggle and say, hey, it develops character and it annoyed the heck out of you as a kid, uh, she was actually right, even though it used to, that was just my mom, no one responded. Uh, we, we all know that it can be times, that the wandering can be times of frustration, maybe like the end of a relationship, relationship to, okay, now I'm alone and I'm readjusting to life, or leaving a job, or getting laid off from a job, or moving, or, I mean, there's a million different ways that it can play out, but it's in these times that God matures us, that he makes us stronger, that we become closer and more dependent upon him. This is, this is where he works, and my guess is that a lot of you are probably in an in-between period. Uh, certainly, all of us have been at some point, but that's why this story really is something that we can grab a hold of and know that God is always going to be with us. When we're wandering, we wonder why. Why did this happen? Why am I here? Why am I stuck? How did I get in this situation? And I, I think the story of the Israelites will actually give us a little window into our own lives. So my Bible holder right here is asleep at the wheel, but he's got me. Thank you. Uh, in Exodus chapter 13, I'm just going to read a few, uh, few different excerpts from the story. Uh, this is what it says in Exodus chapter 13, beginning in verse 17. It says, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph. You might remember Joseph from week three. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph had made the Israelites swear an oath. Joseph had said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up with you from this place. That was 400 years ago, by the way, nearly 400 years ago that Joseph said that. Pretty awesome that they actually made good on it. After leaving Sukkoth, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light. So that, so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. It says that God knew there was a shorter way, but the, that he actually led, them, the, led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. Some translations say he led them the roundabout way. Uh, which is sort of a modern way of saying them, saying the scenic route, maybe, or the very indirect route. One possible answer to the question of why, I think, is really obvious. God took them the roundabout way to teach them something. It was actually for their good. He knew that if they ran into war, they would go back. Uh, map number two, if you want to throw that up for me real quick, Shelley. Uh, this red line is actually the direction that they went. Uh, now, clearly, that's not the short route. Um, if they wanted the most direct route, they should have gone on the white line, but this is the one they actually took. And how'd that happen? It was because God was literally leading them the roundabout way. Uh, that might be a good lesson for us when we think, you know, why isn't this working out the way I want to? Uh, it could be that God is leading me the roundabout way for my good. God took them into the wilderness. He does that. I hate that. I don't know about you. I wish he didn't do that. Uh, but he does. And he did it right here. They didn't like it either. And a lot of people run into a faith crisis. Have you ever noticed that? Some people come to this spot and they say, okay, this isn't working out. God's not, God's not taking me 
where I thought he should, so um, maybe they get angry. Like, uh, I'm mad at the church, I'm mad at God. Maybe uh, there is no God, because if there was, he'd be doing something different. Uh, that, that happens to people. Sometimes people just feel like a perpetual victim. Like, well, God's just not, you know, it's not going to work out. Things just haven't gone well, so I guess I'm just whatever. You know, God's just going to do what he wants to do. Uh, other people will just get like hyper-spiritual, like God's taking me this way, but I want to be over there. So I'm just going to have more faith that God's going to turn around and take me over that direction. Uh, sometimes we do, we do stuff like that, but the, the truth is sometimes God leads us the roundabout way. Uh, you get that. You've all gone through seasons of discouragement. We all have. The real question, though, has nothing to do with why or where is he taking me. The real question is, am I going to follow him? Will I follow if he's leading me somewhere that I don't want to go? That's really how we demonstrate our faith on the roundabout way, isn't it? Will I follow? Sometimes we find ourselves on the roundabout way because God is leading us. And if that's the case, that's actually a pretty good situation, even when it doesn't feel that way. And following through in the wandering might look like some pretty uncomfortable things. It might look like actually instead of cutting ties with uh, Jesus and his church, it might look actually like actually getting more engaged. Uh, it might look like reconciling a relationship that I really don't want to reconcile or being financially faithful to God when it's not easy uh, or finishing something I started or believing in what God can do instead of focusing on what he hasn't done for me. I mean, there's, there's a million different ways. Uh, it doesn't always mean like just cutting ties with what is. Sometimes it just means following through with what I've started. Uh, a good example of that would be uh, if, if you're in a marriage that's just struggling. Uh, there are biblical precedents for divorce, uh, but the Bible's really clear. God hates divorce. It literally says those exact words. That's, that's not God's plan A. Now, there are biblical precedents for that, so I'm not saying it should never happen, uh, but what I am saying is God's given some pretty clear instructions, like, husbands, you should love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. It might mean that when I'm wandering, I need to follow through with that. But it also says, wives, honor your husbands. Now, that's not always easy to do if he's acting like a jerk, is it? Uh, but you know what? Sometimes the wandering means following through with what I've started. That can be really difficult. Well, looking back at the story of Israel, uh, what happened was they just spent a year wandering at God's leading. And it makes sense to me as an outsider. It was about 430 years that they, as a nation, as a people, were in Egypt, a land full of all kinds of spiritual toxicity, uh, a land full of just all kinds of crazy practices and idol worship. And God really, what we see you know, at the high levels, God's really taking them to a place where he can restore them, where he can sort of purge some of that garbage and, and start to actually walk with them. They will probably want to beat the GPS, uh, but... But God knows the whole narrative of your life. He knows the whole narrative of their lives. If you think, if you got goals for 20 years down the road, it's the craziest thing, but God's already there. He's not in a hurry to get you there today. He's in a hurry to do what's right for you, what's best for you. Uh, we're just in a hurry. And you might think you're, you're, uh, you're a patient person, uh, but there's some things we've all done, right? Like uh, I get impatient when I put something in the microwave and I have to wait 45 seconds for something that used to take an hour before the microwave. Like, I'm never like, oh, just thank you, God, that I only have to wait 45 seconds. Uh, no, I never think that, okay? Maybe you're more patient, but how do you feel when you get in line at the store behind the only person in America who still writes a check at the store? 
Nobody's like, oh, thank you for this glorious opportunity to exercise the joy of the Lord as I wait patiently. No one thinks that. Uh, we want to beat the GPS, and so did they, I'm sure. But God leads the roundabout way sometimes. Most of us are not going to like the desert, but it's an important place. Uh, we'll see that all throughout the story of the Bible, that God sends people into solitude, sometimes even into struggle, to build them up. And we, we get frustrated by the wandering because for us, it's about the destination, but for God, it's about the journey. Uh, and life is a perpetual journey. Sometimes it feels that way, and that's because it is. Uh, your destination, just as a matter of encouragement, your destination is somewhere altogether different. John 14, 2, Jesus tells his disciples about their destination. He said, my father's house has many rooms, as in one for you, one for you, and one for you. And if, if that were so, if that were not so, why would I tell you? I wouldn't tell you that was true if it wasn't. And if I go there and prepare a place for you, then I'm going to come back and bring you with me. That's your destination, in the presence of Christ with God in eternity. Life, including the desert, including the wandering, uh, it's going to be a journey. It's going to be a journey. That's true for all of us. So God led them to Sinai, and that was a really lengthy process, uh, altogether from the time they left Egypt to the time they went to Sinai, spent some time there, and got ready to leave Sinai. Okay, so from Egypt to we're packing up, we're leaving Sinai, we're going to the promised land now. It was about a year. And... Uh, they, they got all geared up, and it says in Deuteronomy 1-2, it says it takes 11 days to go from Horeb, which is where they were at at Sinai, to Kadesh Barnea, which is where they were going in Canaan, uh, by the Mount Sire Road. It takes about 11 days. So we saw on map number one, if you want to throw that up for me, Shelly, uh, we saw the shortest route that they should have taken. Uh, it's, all, it's all my bad. She's got to scroll way back for that. The shortest route was the one that was, you know, we could walk. That's from here to Ellensburg, right? And then we saw on map number two... Uh, we saw the trip from Sinai down to the bottom, where they are. Uh, that's, that's where they went, uh, and that's where they're camped out. And the rest of the journey is on this map. This is definitely not the direct route. Okay, so they went from Egypt to Sinai, and they spent about a year in that whole process. The rest of the journey took 39 years. That's how long they wandered around the desert. Can you imagine if we set out for Ellensburg and it took 39 years? We're just, yeah, we're just hanging out in central Washington. Uh, which ironically is probably not that much different actually from, from where they were. Um, the first year was God's idea, right? He, he took them out into the desert. The next 39, that was all them. That was all their goofiness. That was their poor decision making. It was their disregard for God's instructions. It was their thinking they knew better than God. Sometimes we're wandering in the wilderness because God led us there. Sometimes we're wandering in the wilderness because we're stupid. I thought about saying that much more nicely. That's not what I have written right here, uh, but that's the reality, right? Like if God says, hey, do it this way, and we're like, nah, I'm going to do it this way instead. Like that's just, that's just dumb, like, right? How, how is that a good decision? Uh, but we all do it, so we're safe. We, we all do it. Uh, so here's what Moses is up against as their leader. As they're wandering through the desert, God is miraculously providing food for them called manna, right? Manna from heaven. Uh, maybe if you've heard that expression, uh, it comes from the Bible, uh, like many of the useful expressions. And uh, God is day by day providing manna from heaven for them to eat. And they get tired of eating the same thing over and over again. So on page 72 in the story, it's Numbers chapter 11. This is what it says. It says, the rabble with them began to crave other food. I don't even know what rabble means. I'm just assuming that none of us wants to be part of it. Uh, it doesn't sound like a thing you should want to be. They began to crave other food. And again, 
the Israelites started wailing and said, if we only had meat to eat, remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost? Also the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, garlic, but now we've lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. Moses heard the people of every family wailing at the entrance of their tents, and the Lord became exceedingly angry. Uh, this reminds me of when you were on a family trip and your dad used to say, uh, you better stop that crying or I'm going to give you something to cry about, right? Uh, oh, good. That one wasn't just my dad. Uh, that's what God's saying right now. Like, you want meat? I'm going to give you some meat. It's pretty crazy what happens. Uh, he asked the Lord, Moses asked the Lord, why have you brought this trouble on your servant? Meaning him, because he's the only sane one. What have I done to displease you that you put the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? They're not even my children. Did I give them birth? Why did you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant to the land you promised on oath to their ancestors? Where can I get meat for all these people? They keep wailing to me. Give us meat to eat. Uh, Moses is just having a meltdown, right? Moses is basically just doing what Brandy did in the front seat right there. Uh, he just can't stand it. But have you ever heard somebody say something that was like so utterly ridiculous that you were like, I can't even get my head around what you could possibly be thinking right now? Uh, like when someone comes out of slavery and then a year later they're like, send us back to Egypt where we had fish for free, all the fish we wanted. It wasn't free, dummy. We're slaves. Like how ridiculous is that? You got paid in fish. That is not a good deal. Or like... Uh, I mean, I think we can all agree, like, what good is freedom if you don't have cucumbers, Patrick? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Who wants freedom without onions? Like, they're just losing their minds. And if you're reading the story and you're looking for, like, a personal application, um, you can think of it this way, right? You got three principal figures. You got Moses and God, and you have all the people whining. Well, you're obviously not God, and you're probably not Moses, uh, so I'm just saying, you, you can decide how you want to apply that. But... What happens is God, God provides, they complain. God doesn't complain. God provides, they complain. And then God's understandably really put off by it. And they're like two million kids in the backseat. They want meat instead of manna. And so what happens is God sends a swarm of quail. Like you want meat and he's just like ramming quail in their face, basically. There's a swarm of quail. It says it extends so far as an entire day's walk outside of their camp. Just quail, quail, quail. My wife is terrified of birds. That's like, that might as well, God might as well have sent them directly to hell as far as you're concerned. Uh, but then all they have is quail. It's all they have. Uh, that's actually really, really funny. Like, I'll give you something to cry about, right? Yeah, yeah, he did. And that's just the beginning of the 39 years. Like, that's like a typical thing. So this is what happens when they get close to the promised lands. On page 74 in the story, it's in Numbers chapter 13. It says, the Lord said to Moses... Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, the promised land, which I am giving to you, the Israelites, from each ancestral tribe. Send one of its leaders. So uh, Moses sends out 12 spies. There's 12 tribes. And uh, 10 of them are totally faithless and afraid. But then Joshua and Caleb, they saw the land and they believed, you know what? It's awesome. God, God is going to give us something so good, so amazing. He said he's going to give it to us, um, and, and I believe him. It's amazing. And then in verse 20 of chapter 13, it's on page 75, this is what it says. Wait for it. Verse 30, I'm sorry. It says, uh, they, gave, they gave Moses this account. 
We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does, does flow with milk and honey, and here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. Verse 30, then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. And all the whiny and negative people are just fixated on like, how hard it's going to be. Uh, I don't know about you, sometimes I fixate on how hard it's going to be to go where God is taking us. And they say, hey, you know what, just, just give us some new leaders who will take us back to Egypt so we can be safe again. Then over in verse 14, chapter 14, verse 9, it says, Only do not rebel against the Lord, Caleb is talking, and do not be afraid of the people in the land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. Caleb and Joshua, they come back with this faith-filled report. Yes, it's going to be hard, but it's awesome. And God said he wants to give it to us. He's with us. Let's go after it. And they just want to go back to Egypt. They just want to settle down in a place they should have been passing through. Remember we talked about that last week. They still believe that it's better to go back and be saved and uh, be slaves. And and the outcome of chapter 6, as you read through it this week, Um, is that God God finally says to them, you know what, we've been wandering around out here uh, for all this time, none of you are going to see the promised land. The entire generation of basically the adults uh, ended up wandering around in the desert until they all died off. Okay, so if 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 we were them, that would be basically until all of the boomers and the Gen Xers were gone. So if you're a millennial or a zillennial, you're in. You're going to see the promised land, but you're going to have to wander around in central Washington with the rest of us until we die off. Now that's, that's basically what happened. You're going to die off and then your children are going to go and take the land because they believe me. Now watch this, okay? This is a really important principle. In the desert, God cuts ties with the people whose highest value is safety. And then the people who were ready to press onward to actually pursue his promise, they went in and took the land. That's what will happen in the next few weeks, okay? God cut ties with the people, get this now, who were just concerned about staying safe. They weren't concerned about God's promise and following him. They just wanted to stick with what they knew. He cut ties with them. They wandered around until they were gone. But then the generation that wanted to pursue God's promise, that wanted to press onward, they actually inherited the land. And it wasn't easy, but God was faithful. He led them exactly where he said he was going to. The key verse from last week, found in Philippians chapter 3, verse 13. Paul says, one thing I do. This one thing, uh, I'm going to make sure that this happens. The one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward. He said, the one thing I do, like you got you to get your head around the fact that he's like prioritizing it above everything else. The one thing that I'm going to make sure I do is press on. Not stay where I am, not pine for what is behind, but press on. The message, which is a paraphrase of the Bible, uh, this, is, this is what it says. It says, I've got my eye on the goal where God is beckoning us onward to Jesus. I'm off and running and I am not turning back. Listen, where you're at, uh, you may have picked up on this last week, and this week we're just going to all the trouble of reiterating it. Where you're at, press onward. 
That's what God has for you. Uh, Press onward. No matter what pile of ashes you might be in right now, guess what? You can rise. Press onward. Do me a favor. Turn to your neighbor and tell him to press onward. There you go. There you go. Center Church, press. Let's press onward. And the reason is because, just like the children of Israel, we're going to get what we go for. You're going to get what you go for. If what you're going for is just right here, I'm just going to hunker down and it's kind of small and I don't really like it that much, but you know, at least I feel somewhat safe right here. If that's what you're going for, that's what you're going to get. But if what you're going for is the, the best possible life that God has for you, that's what you're going to get. If what you're going for is the promised land, that's, that's what you're going to get. See, the people were kind of hoping for the promised land, but they weren't actually willing to follow God. They were, what they were actually going for was the desert. They were hoping for the promised land, but going for the desert. But, but what did God do? He moved forward with the people who were ready to move forward. Does that make sense? They all got what they were going for. The people who wanted to move forward got what they were going for. The people who wanted to stay, they got what they were going for too. So get this. If you're going for in life, if you're going for the status quo, that's exactly what you're going to get. If you're going for average, that's, that's what you're going to get. Like if you came to church today just hoping to like, you know, sort of like get through a sermon, hopefully you'll stop talking soon so I can like crush some nachos and watch football. That's, that's great. Uh, I mean, like if that's like, if that's killing it for you, uh, you're, you're going to get exactly what you're going for. Like that's what's going to happen. Does that make sense? Like that's not a condemnation. I'm just saying you're going to get what you're going for. But what if instead of them like pining for a cucumber, just like wishing they had a vegetable, what if they had decided, you know what? God's promised to give us a land where we can have our own farms and we can grow acres and acres of cucumbers. What if they had pursued that instead? What if instead of just going, going for one like little small dream, what if they had gone for great? How would their story have been different? Well, most of them died in the desert and they successfully maintained the status quo. It's the same for us, but God didn't save you to maintain the status quo. He went to crazy lengths to save you. Think about this. God sent his son into the world. Jesus is God. Okay, this is what blows my mind, maybe more than anything else, is the idea that God actually subjected himself to his own creation. Right? The closest thing I can think is like uh, putting one of my kids in charge of my life. Uh, but it's still not even close. Uh, but you know what I'm saying? Like just the amount of humility to subject himself to his own creation, all so that he could die for you, pay the bill for your sin, so that you could have communication with him and have the opportunity to pursue that life. God didn't save you for the status quo. Uh, he went to way too much, way too much length for that. He didn't save you just so that things could remain the same as they've always been. He didn't save me so that, you know, everyone around me could just remain unchanged and things will just stay the same. He's beckoning us, each one of us, onward. He's beckoning you onward. You might be like past retirement age and be like, no, that's not me. Like I'm on the off ramp right now. Like I'm cruising. Listen, if you're still breathing, God's beckoning you onward. You're not at the destination yet. It's still out there, probably pretty far. So why not go for great? Why not go for great? God didn't save me to take up space. He didn't save you to take up space. He saved you and I because he has plans and purpose for you. He's got influence for us to exert. As a pastor, one of the most discouraging things for me is when I identify someone who I see their skills, I see their story, I know that God values them, um, but they decide that they want to be on the sidelines. Uh, it's discouraging because what I know is they're going to get exactly the life they're going for. 
when they decide on status quo. So I just want to ask the band to come back. We're going we're gonna to just sing a couple of songs really quick. We'll be gone in about 10 minutes, but I want to share this verse with you uh, before we go. Paul is writing this letter to Timothy. Timothy is a young pastor. The church, I'm like the capital C worldwide church, is like a baby right at this point. And uh, Timothy's trying to lead all these people who have like no Christian background. And Paul writes in this letter, and in 2 Timothy 1.6, he says, I remind you, Timothy, to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. He's saying, you received the gift of God when I prayed for you. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. I want to remind you to fan into flame the gift of God because you're going to get exactly what you're going for. If what you're going for is great, that's what you're going to get. If what you're going for is the power of God at work in your life to move mountains, that's what you're going to get. You're going to get what you're going for. I'm going to get what I'm going for. If what you're what you're going for is to see your family recognize the work of God in your life and want to put their faith in him as well. If that's what you're going for, if that's what you're pursuing, that's what you're going to get. I believe that God can do that work in their lives through you. Uh, Dads, husbands right here, don't don't hope that your family turns out okay. Go for great. You're going to get what you're going for. God's given you an opportunity to lead. Students, don't hope that you muddle through school somehow. Go for great. You're going to get what you're going for. God is at work. As the people of Israel went for small when God wanted to give them big. Uh, How sad is that for us to look at that in retrospect? But they got what they went for. And unfortunately, what they went for was far less than what God wanted to give them. So I want to ask you if, you, if you just want to move off of settling down somewhere you're meant to pass through and you want to go for great, I'm going to ask you to stand and sing with me. Uh, Jess and the band are going to lead us. And I want to pray that God would give you a fresh vision for what he wants to do in your life. I want to pray that God would give you a fresh passion, a, a clear direction forward. Proverbs 3, 6, which is familiar, I'm sure, to many of you. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And then it says, in all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. So, so what do I do with this idea that God wants me to move forward? Well, first, you trust in the Lord with all your heart. And second, you don't lean on your own understanding. And then you press onward down the path that he lays in front of you. That, I know I'm, I'm making that sound more simple than it probably is in reality, but it begins with trusting in him with all your heart and submitting to him. So Lord, I pray that uh, for each and every one of us, Lord, you give us uh, just, just a realization that by faith, we're gonna get what we go for because you wanna do big things. You have good things out in front of us. Your word is abundantly clear over and over. And, and most of us have seen that happen at various times. And, and you know we flux back and forth between faith and fear and, and comfort and pressing ahead. Uh, but God, I pray that you would clear a new path in front of us and give us the confidence to go after it with every single thing in our being. In Jesus' name, amen.